guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast ranking every single horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's everybody going? Uh, Target has started stocking Halloween stuff. Yes. So my basic ass yes. <laughs> went to the store and stocked up on junk food. <sighs> it's the time of the season. This is, honestly, I think we eat more junk food during the month of October than in any other month, which is not to say that I don't eat dis- disgusting garbage the rest of the year, because I absolutely <laughs> so- do. So, speaking of disgusting garbage, let me tell you about my new favorite, uh, Ghost Dots. Oh, okay. So, these are like Dots the Chewy Candy? Dots the Chewy Candy, but they're all pale, ghostly blue, (laughs) and the flavor's a mystery. Ooh. And like... Let's be clear. Dots are not a good candy. They're like Mm -hmm. Mike and Ike's low-rent cousins. (laughs) Yeah, this is... Dots are the Scooby-Dum of Mike and Ike's. <laughs> this is truly the, like, bit oh honey tear candy. Like, <laughs> the thing with Dots is you're always excited because you're like, oh, I like chewy fruit candy. And then you bite into it and it quickly, like, adheres to your molars. And you yeah, got your filling comes out with it. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and you've got to, like, use your house keys to, like, pry it off of your teeth <laughs> in the theater. And it's just a goddamn sadness. And yet, when you remove all of the flavors and you make them all ghostly blue, infinitely better <laughs> experience. Because you're just trying to figure out which one is it going to be. Is it going to be lime? Ooh. Or is it going to be cherry? <laughs> This is what I think what they're what they're taking advantage of is the fact that dots as a candy most resemble the ghosts from Pac-Man. And so they're just like, oh, OK, it looks kind of like a spooky lampshade that you can eat. Like I my problem is any item that is candy that is a Halloween variation of itself. I'm I'm buying it and I'm eating it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I also got a bag of Haribo Scare Mix, which is just Star Mix, but spooky. Oh, yeah. I know they've got, like, the Vampire Bat uh, Haribo. Like, Haribo is one of those candies that, like, if I found out that there was, like, an old European family that was, like, old money that had a creepy mansion and they were in charge of, like, the Haribo Empire, I would <laughs> I would buy it. Yeah, it Haribo are simultaneously gummy and hard at the same time i don't know how they pull it off (laughs) it's a mystery of the faith right there oh one more one more um candy i just discovered Mm -hmm. uh kit kat has come out with their novelty flavor for this year last year's was apple pie i remember the best thing we've i've ever had Mm -hmm. this year it is fruity cereal because it is the 50th anniversary of fruity pebbles but i guess Kit Kat was like, so we we preemptively made this flavor, and we were hoping for some some cross promotion, and then Post was like, no, we're good. So they're like, <laughs> fuck it, we're going to market. We're just calling it fruity cereal. And <laughs> here it is. That's amazing. This is like in um, uh, Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare when they wanted to do do a bit with the power glove. And apparently uh, Bob Shea at New Line was like, well, fuck Nintendo, and just did it anyway, and just like <laughs> put the Freddy Krueger power glove in the movie. It's like, listen, if you've got an idea like Kit Kat Fruity Pebbles, it's 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 full speed ahead, and you can't wait for Post to, to give it their blessing. You just got to name it Fruity Cereal. <laughs> so, so what uh, cool shit have you been up to? Um, I have been reading a, uh, so I've been reading a biography of uh, Typhoid Mary recently. Oh. What timely reading. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not, It's. I mean, it's not like a sort of, like, you know, Mary Mallon was born and such and such, but it's sort of just, like, documenting, like, the degree to which she went out of her way to give people typhus, like, or typhoid. Like, she apparently uh, changed her name several times just to move to different areas and continue making food for people and giving them typhoid fever. Um, bless her heart. Bless her heart. And it's, you know, and what, what's also amazing is that she tried, you know, taking up a different vocation for a bit where she was like, okay, I'll try working as like a nurse. But then she just immediately went back to being a cook and giving people typhoid. Um, and this makes sense to me because, and I think it's just because of like maybe ambient uh, COVID paranoia in the air right now. But I was like, you know what? I never actually learned the deal about uh, typhoid Mary. So I'm halfway through it now and it's upsetting. It feels like it. It feels like such a a bizarre story. Like, why the fuck wouldn't she just quit and and seek medical attention? And then twenty twenty happened, and then I'm like, oh, it makes total sense. 
Yeah, it, yeah. It completely makes sense. And she's like, you know what? Not going to let this get me down. I'm going to follow my dream. She's going to make an Instagram post about haters. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's like, because she was asymptomatic, she was like, well, I don't see any goddamn problem with me. So I'm just going to keep on making uh, corned beef hash for people. And apparently lots of people die around me. Unrelated. Couldn't tell you what that's about. Um, which is also the weird thing about COVID is sort of coming to terms with the fact that like lots and lots of people really are as ignorant and cruel as we think they are. Like it's a terrifying thing because like, you know, a big part of my brain is always like, all right, these fucking anti-mask goofs, like surely there must be something behind this particular hilarity on their part. Like there's, there's, there must be a reason. And I realize like, uh, it's mostly that they're dumb assholes who don't care about people. And, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, fantasy and pretend for an hour. <laughs> Yay! Oh boy. So let's dig into uh, the screener we got. Quincy, uh, this is a movie that is, I would say, the world's first hangout giallo film. It's so good. It's called The Last Matinee, and it's out now from Dark Star Pictures. And it is an Argentinian giallo throwback. It's it's Yeah. It's um, Jalo Nostalgia. Yeah, and it takes place in, like, what, like, 1990 or something? 1993, and they have filled this uh, movie theater with all of the posters that you wish would have been in your local movie theater. Oh, yeah. Growing up, my theater had, you know, Star Wars and uh, Indiana Jones and, in, in like, maybe one other decent movie in the rafters. But just mm-hmm. a bunch of, like, boring stuff. This movie theater's got a fucking Dario Argento opera poster. It's got an Argentinian Robocop poster. With oh, hell a, yeah. Like, Ghanian style painting of a robot cop. It's amazing. Like I love these regional. It's sort of like. Are you familiar with Polish uh, horror movie covers that are specific? Yes, yes. The Polish Star Wars um, Return of the Jedi cover. Oh yeah. Has um, exploding Darth Vader on it. <laughs> like yeah, specifically re- yeah regional like Polish horror movie covers are just fucking outstanding. And yeah, like like the regional covers in this. Uh, this takes place in specifically Montevideo. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Argen- uh, Argentina. Um, and mm-hmm. I, you know, the thing is that for you know, and uh, you know, listeners probably know that you and I are both uh, huge marks for retro stuff, anyway. But I feel like uh, this movie, uh, the last matinee, really, really nails the perfect blend of like nostalgia and doing its own thing. Yeah, because um, it's in, and the retro. Uh, hey, this 1993 isn't too over the top like we have a couple of blowout hairstyles we've got um a choker necklace on one of the characters the color palette is like a a almost hyper color but Mm -hmm. toned down just a little bit yeah i would describe the uh, the lighting and color scheme of this as like 1993 uh bowling alley right before closing like yes <laughs> l- yeah yeah grimy lot of neon a lot of you know like you can sort of smell the stale popcorn um and it takes place in a movie theater uh, back in the olden days when you used to have a projectionist um and we're introduced to the protagonist of the movie anna whose father um has i think like heart problems or it's, it's the consumption or something <laughs> he just coughs a lot but he also chain smokes so it's like you know, he's probably just an old... He's just general unwell dad who refuses to admit that he is not taking care of his health. Yeah, as a projectionist, he's got, like, cinemalaria or something. Like, he's got, like, <laughs> he's got like celluloid lung or something. Like, he's just coughing his goddamn balls off all the time. Uh, and Anna, who, you know, uh, since she was knee-high to a duck's ass, has been, like watching her dad be a projectionist and you know she she's watched him do it she's taken one of his like classes on how to be a projectionist and so she rocks up to the joint and is like hey dad you cannot work for 10 hours you will die and he's like you know he's trying to i mean and i think we've all kind of done this bullshit move with our loved ones at some point where we're like 
I'm fine. I can overwork myself, and it's good, actually. I will be capitalism's brave little soldier, <laughs> and it'll work out great for me. And our loved ones kind of have to club us on the back of the head and be like, shut the fuck up and go take a nap. Yeah, um, Anna's like, I literally called a taxi. It's outside. Go downstairs <laughs> and go home. <laughs> Anna's such a boss. I love Anna. Um, but we also are introduced to uh, the, 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 the killer of this movie. Now, since this is a throwback giallo, we get these killer POV shots of um, somebody in a thick raincoat with black gloves uh, sort of going up, asking for a ticket, sliding it slowly across the counter toward himself with his black gloves. And I'm comfortable saying, if you're working the front desk and this guy shows up with his fucking black gloves and his hood over his head, just ask him to leave. Just be like, ah, actually, we're closed. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, buddy, we've we just got done cleaning up the last murder. Do you know how hard it is to get blood out of popcorn and carpeting? Like, please, sir, please take it, take it somewhere else. It's 1993. There's got to be a shady porno theater somewhere that's missing you. Um, and you know, we get this shot of this little kid, uh, which is a great shot at the start of it. Like, there's a lot of slow mo in this movie, and. There's a, a little kid with a, like, bucket full of gumballs or something. And he just drops the motherfuckers. I also like how the movie theater in this movie gets pro progressively dirtier and dirtier. Mm. And it's just like, poor ushers. They have to clean all this up at the end of this movie. And it's... <laughs> Having having once worked as an usher, I can tell you there's there's all manner of scunge you got to mop up throughout the course of your day. It's just it's not ideal. <laughs> the slow mo in this movie is pretty great because not only do we get this kid dropping gumballs in slow motion, and of course the killer hands him a red gumball to pick back up, mm -hmm. and this is why like it has to be a retro film because this kid like pops it in his mouth and he's like thanks, and I'm just like. <laughs> No germs. Don't Man. do it. Yeah, like, kid, you can't be doing that. And also, I'm wondering what would happen if the killer, like, hadn't had time or, like, there hadn't been any red gumballs and he had to give him, like, a, a pink one. And he's like, oh, no, <laughs> this is going to hurt my, my, my slasher cred if I give him, like, a, a purple gumball. Um, but not only do we get this slow-mo gumball scene, later, one of the kids in the movie theater is so scared of the movie, he pisses his pants. And we get the uh, slow-mo raked movie theater floor piss running down the floor Yeah, it's, shot. it's a great shot. I will say the cinematographer on this movie was having a ball. Like... Oh, it from the very first scene, the cinematography in this is fantastic it's phenomenal it's just so good um we now the killer uh of course uh closes the like sort of locks the place up from the outside and barricades everybody inside so that he can you know sort of go about his night uh javier fucks off back home and anna's running the projector we get this uh, trio of teens um who are you know honestly i love a, i love i love a good dirtbag teen trio in my horror movie drinking vodka outside of a movie theater <laughs> And yeah, they, yeah they they're drinking vodka outside the theater because one of them, quote, is known too well and they know to check her for vodka <laughs> before they let her in. Matt, if you're known as the one who's trying to sneak some fucking pop off into the into the movie theater, it's like 1993. Like, hey, let's get shit house to go watch Jurassic Park or Demolition Man. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> um, and now there's I will say. There's a kill in this movie that I adore with my whole heart, which is that uh, one of the, the teens uh, spots a, a, a young lady that he'd been making eyes at at the bus stop earlier, and he decides to go down and try to, you know, have, have a go of flirting with her. And they smooch, and mid-smooch, the killer takes, like, a piece of rebar and, like, rams it through both of their skulls through their mouths, like, joining them in a ghoulish death kiss with rebar. It's yeah, pretty not great. only is it a smooch, it's his first kiss. Ooh, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> Man, that's, yeah. And, like, this kill, like, I mean, obviously in horror movies we've seen people fucking who, and getting impaled one through the other so that they're, like, joined as a kind of unholy sex crab. But stabbing these two kids through the face and joining them in a ghoulish death smooch is, it's, it's a lot. So, one by one, uh, we have the... People in this movie theater being murdered while watching a uh, version of Frankenstein, which I believe was shot for this movie. Yeah, there's like a movie was, within a movie. It's a purposely bad version of Frankenstein, and it is wonderful. <laughs> I, I really want to get a I really want to cop a copy of this this movie specifically, and it makes me think of the fact that Jalo movies. A big reason for them was they were like, all right. 
we got to cram as much murder and tits into this thing as possible to make these teens who are all here trying to make time with each other, we got to do something to keep them engaged. And that's pretty much what this movie is trying to do. Yeah. And I also love that because this is Montevideo and it's a small town, the one theater uh, is showing different movies at different showtimes. Mm -hmm. So there is a like eight year old kid or younger who has snuck into the movie theater because they were playing like dinosaurs and he just like hid from the usher. And then he's watching this hyper gory Frankenstein. It's like uh, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein levels of sex and violence. Man, this poor baby. Like my guy just tried like logging on to play some Candy Crush and he got dropped right into the middle of Resident Evil. Like he's (laughs) this poor little kid. And he, you know, if I'm this kid, I'm also pissing myself to death over both this movie and the fact that I'm watching people just get fucking murdered by uh, a gloved lunatic. Um, now, the scene in this movie that I think is truly incredible is there is a, a young couple who is here uh, watching the movie, and the lady decides, like, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of fucking around. I'm going to jerk this guy off in the movie theater. Yes. And <laughs> the classic, this is a bad movie, so... Uh... <laughs> I know that I'm getting old because I'm like, uh, there are kids in this. Do do you mind actually? Like, I get that you're trying to rub one, rub one out in the movie theater, but like, I mean, she's a fucking super villain of a character. She immediately (laughs) lights up a cigarette and everyone is like, there's no smoking in the movie theater. And she's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Continues to smoke. God, she's incredible. She's like, it's like basic instinct with her. Like she's just making everybody in the room uncomfortable. Um, but while she is, uh, cranking this dude's hog, uh, somebody else is getting, uh, murdered, uh, during the bit, by the way, with the piece of rebar, with the two teens heads getting smooshed together. Uh, and he nuts at the exact moment (laughs) these kids die and he's like throwing back his head and, and, you know, making orgasm sounds while these two teens are dying, which is like, man, they're really going for like, Jalo movies are primarily about sex and murder. Like, yeah, this movie is just sex and murder. <laughs> yeah. But I also love that this movie deals with the fallout of having just gotten a handy in the movie theater because then he looks down and his pants are just like soaked with jizz. And he's and like, he, just oh, panic. he runs to the bathroom and he <laughs> slips in blood from one of the other kills. And the projectionist, Anna, bumps into him in the lobby and says, you've got a stain on your pants. And he goes, it's rain! And runs into the bathroom. It's really sticky rain. Like, watching this dude hovering in front of a a theater sink trying to wash splooge off of his pants. It's just, it's truly amazing. Um, And then... My poor guy finally gets all the cum off his pants, and then the killer chases him, so he hides in a stall and slips and falls in toilet water. Man, it's like train spotting. He is like swan diving into this toilet. Uh, He gets his head beaten against the bathroom floor. He gets the shit stabbed out of him. My guy had, I would say, actually a C-plus night as far as Java movies go, where it's like, look... (laughs) My heart goes out to you. You did get stabbed, dunked in, dunked in toilet water, and uh, curb stomped on a bathroom floor. But you did also get pulled off in the middle of a Jalo movie. So, like, that's the best you can ask for, really. So the killer is collecting eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Big, uh, big. What it is? He's got. You know those Quincy. You know those Utes cheese ball tubs. Yeah. <laughs> He's got one of those. Uh, and he's just uh, collecting eyeballs uh, throughout the movie and just, you know, sort of holding them in this jar. Um, finally, the killer reveals himself, and he's not anybody that any of the characters know. Like, it's not like, oh, it's Javier coming back to try to murder everyone. It's just like... It's just, oh, you're a drifter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just a scary Argentinian drifter. Um, and also, I will say, the guy that plays the killer really brings the thunder as this killer. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's, he's fantastic. Um, now we get... Uh, the killer gets uh, stabbed in the eye during one of the scenes, and this is actually... So, Quincy, do you have eyeball squeamishness about horror movies? Absolutely. I cannot... I had to close my eyes during the, the, the scene you're about to talk about. Yeah, same. I actually watched, watched it through my fingers, and I don't generally, like... I normally have a pretty cast iron stomach, except for fingernail stuff and eyeball stuff. And the killer, um, his eyeball is dangling out of his uh, eye socket via nerve ropes? What is that thing? 
nerve yeah and, and sinew basically yeah <laughs> the uh, nature's nature's slim jim uh and it's just it's dangling there and he uses a knife to sever the ro- the eye rope from his skull and it's <laughs> it's basically the like we have to show that this guy's an inhuman killing machine <laughs> yeah i do appreciate that at least the guy howled when he did it because like you know you can't we can't all be like michael myers getting your eye gouged out and just like no selling it or whatever like i like that he he yells this killer is a dirty bird he's just gross as fuck yeah um, he's he's just a greasy gross dude yeah, it's great. Um, as I feel a Jalo killer should be. Now, actually thinking about it, uh, I like that this is a hangout Jalo with all of these characters because Jalo movies in general, I feel, are hangout movies because, like, none of these people in Italy have jobs in these movies. Like, all they do is sit around and smoke and play the organ and fuck and get murdered. <laughs> and why shouldn't that be the case in a uh, in a Jalo homage? Um Finally, the killer, uh, you know, catches up with the, the two girls that are, like, running from him. Um, and he's got the big tub full of eyeballs. He pops an eyeball out of his mouth and winks at them and puts it in the jar. And it's just a lot. It's just a lot. It's it's so good. Um, but finally, you know, they do get the guy and they um, stab him with the rebar and he goes down. Uh, and it's kind of a nice ending. Uh, the little boy does live, which is incredible to me because, like, I was sort of like watching this movie, going, "Like, are we are we killing kids in this movie?" Yeah, it it really had me on the edge of my seat. But don't worry. Oh, by the way, this is on VOD as well as um, you can buy it digitally on DVD from Bloody Disgusting and Dark Star Pictures. Um, it's out now. Definitely go watch it oh yeah it it rates such a watch i i had a wonderful time it, it was just a good fucking time also it's like a tight 90 bim bam boom um and it manages to be a good movie in its own right without being like this was a reference to four flies on gray velvet do you get it and it's just like it doesn't like it's obviously in love with shallow movies but it doesn't feel the need to be cute about it which i really appreciate yeah it's so great that if you haven't seen a giallo you would still enjoy it as a slasher flick. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's sort of... It's, it's sort not of, like, look how clever we are. Yeah, like, I, I, it sort of shows its work with, like, okay, we're giving you this first shot with a black leather glove in the foreground. We're giving you all of the beats. You basically know what a giallo is if you've seen early American slashers. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's fantastic. You guys got to check it out. Um, oh, and by the way, it's an Uruguayan-Argentinian um, co-production. Oh, beg your pardon. Ur- Uruguayan-Argentinian uh, production that is available on, what, uh, VOD right now? It's on, like, Prime, probably. Um, and um, you can pick up a DVD copy, too, if you're still a physical media ghoul like uh, me. Absolutely. Listen, I actually just got the Stendhal syndrome on DVD, so I clearly just need to start, like, building Oh, my... same. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we really, I just really need to start cultivating my Jalo shelf. Um, so let's let's put this on the list. Uh, so scrolling a little bit, uh, let's see, at number 203, uh, we have Creep, um, the, the movie about the guy who's really bad at making friends and then killing those friends. Um, Quincy, which, which do you think is better, Creep or uh, this motion picture? Gosh, that's a really hard question because they're kind of different styles of picture. Mm-hmm. Creep is general, genuinely upsetting, but The Last Matinee is a, a fun watch. That's a great point. Here we go. Uh, at number 172, Quincy, we have Gremlins. Uh, if we're talking about like a fun time at the movies, uh, where would you rate The Last Matinee against Gremlins? Oh, I would say Gremlins is better, but mm-hmm. very close to that is um, The Devil's Candy. Oh, yeah, The Devil's Candy with my husband, uh, Ethan Embry. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great uh, sort of companion for this. Which 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 do you think you would give the, the edge to? I think I would give it to The Devil's Candy, but right below that is Jennifer's Body and Krull. And although Krull Ooh. is a personal favorite of mine, I would put it probably somewhere above or below Jennifer's Body. I tell you what, Jennifer's body, I feel like, was genuinely sort of commenting on stuff in in horror and on uh, capital S stuff in a way that uh, Last Matinee isn't really commenting on anything so much as Don't You Fucking Love Jalo, which is also a perfectly fucking great, you know, 
point to have. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would feel pretty good about putting that above Kroll and below Jennifer's body at our new number 186. Yeah, so definitely go check this one out. It's um, it's a real hoot. It's a fun time. This is this the is a party matinee. <laughs> this is a party movie. I feel like this is what you want to break out at if you've got a bunch of like buds over and all of you are vaccinated. Um, <laughs> I feel like I need to stress that. Um, let's dive into uh, all right. So the the other movie we're doing, um, Quincy, <clears throat> we're doing Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978, not the uh, the 50s uh, original. Or apparently I didn't realize there was a 90s remake as well. I haven't seen the 90s remake, have you? No, but I definitely conflated the 70s and the 90s movies together. <laughs> because... <laughs> I mean, that's... I mean, there's not that big of a difference between 1978 and the 90s as far as like... I, I mean, maybe there is definitely more than the 1950s and the late 70s. Suffice to say, I almost watched the wrong one in prep for the show. <laughs> Excellent. Now, I will say, um, off top, um, a thing that I've been uh, that, that I was trying to figure out. So you know how monsters are metaphors, right? Yeah. Um, OG invasion of the body snatchers to me pretty blatantly was like a communism riff. Like it was talking about Cold War paranoia and you know Middle America's fear of the loss of individuality under communism. Um, what is Invasion of the Body Snatchers 1978 a metaphor for? You know, I'm scared it's a metaphor for immigration because some of the first people shown are Asian Americans. Oh yeah, that's not ideal. That's that could, Yeah, because yeah. because Donald Sutherland goes to the um dry cleaner and like one of the first lines is the man saying like that's not my wife in yeah. like a pigeon uh, very heavily accented English. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's, I, although that would be a weird thing where you're sort of like, you know, you never know if the, this person that you've known for 10 years will suddenly become an immigrant or something. Like it's, <laughs> you know, well, and it's also my my immediate, the note that I wrote down was this, the, the overall message of this movie is, wouldn't it suck if everyone became a goopman? And we're all goopmen and they're gonna getcha. And they're here now. Like it's, but I there's think, also something about Donald Sutherland's character has bought into like the system working so well, mm -hmm. and even when everything goes to shit, his immediate reaction is, "I'll call the police and they'll fix it." He literally says that policeman will help. And it's like, <laughs> nah, bud, he ain't. Only trust your fists. Police will never help you. The thing is, I mean, his job, he is an inspector for the Department of Public Health. So, which, his his literal job in this movie is noticing when things are wrong and making a note of it. Um, now, this is... He bursts uh, into that kitchen and immediately produces a rat turd out of a stew. How are how many rat turds had to be in that that he's able to pull one out with tweezers and go, it's a rat turd. <laughs> well, you've never had rat turd casserole before? That, that's the thing is he It's it, a kipper. Now this this exchange I feel like has been haunting my subconscious for the last like decade is that, you know, he goes to this fancy schmancy French restaurant in a French ass restaurant and he is asking what's in this soup, and they're like, uh, bay leaf and garlic, and then he's like, yeah, what's this? And they're like, it is a caper, and he's like, it is a rat turd. It is a caper, rat turd. And they just, it's like duck season, wabbit season for like a solid ten seconds between The best thing is like, okay, then eat it, and they're like, alright, it is a turd. Yeah, you got, got us there. You got me. Although my thing is, I was wondering, what if this French chef was like a stone-cold motherfucker who was like, yeah, I'll eat it, and just one-shotted it? I feel like if he'd taken it, Donald Sutherland would have gone, ew, you ate a rat turd, and I'm still writing you up. <laughs> like, well, he also, the immediate next scene, they're in a fucking lab testing food, and he's holding a baked potato, and he says, something is off about this baked potato. <laughs> it's It might be the butter, it might be the sour cream. <laughs> We've got to <laughs> run it in this lab to figure it out. Computer enhance. And he's just like examining <laughs> the sour cream. It's incredible. Also, I gotta say, Donald Sutherland in this movie, his vibes are my favorite. I love this character. Like, I like Donald Sutherland is a now we're talking actor for me for sure when he pops up and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, he's got this like big white man afro for 1978. He's got this mustache. This movie looks like it was just dipped in 1978. 
Oh yeah, it's it's abidingly seventy-eight <laughs> to the point that there's a goddamn folk singer in the park just strumming on a banjo. Apparently, the person who overdubbed that banjo is Jerry Garcia. What? Uh, yeah, he he did the banjo part for this movie, uh, and it's yeah. This movie is now actually. I will say I do think this movie is commenting on something, which is late seventies, early eighties, like pop psychology, self-help culture stuff. Oh, absolutely, because Leonard Nimoy is this quack who's got, like, a book, and he's, like, everyone keeps thinking that their their spouse is replaced, but you're all full of shit. They're the same person. Chill the fuck out. You're fine. Yeah. Buy my book. Yeah, 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 relatedly buy my book. He's, he also just looks and dresses like Carl Sagan in this (laughs) movie. He does. He's... To the most. He's wearing a plaid blazer. It's so much. And a turtleneck. Yeah, and everybody's coming to him and being like, wow, I feel like... I also love that Bill Goldblum is running around going, this man is full of shit, and everyone's like, you're scaring the host. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, my God. So here's the thing. Jeff Goldblum in this movie is a baby Goldblum. He is a Goldblumlet. It is 1978. Uh, he is so skinny and so tiny, and he looks so young. And he is a little rat boy. Who, <laughs> <laughs> he is that guy in your MFA, is what is what Jeff he Goldblum is. is. He's like, I take six months to write six words. <laughs> and meanwhile, Leonard Nimoy, people are buying his book, and girls, oh, girls want to <laughs> hang out with him. Like he's just he's so fucking five eleven, which is actually untrue because in the movie it specifies that he's six foot four. I double checked. He is Jeff Goldblum is six foot four. That's wow. a that's a tall glass of water, is what that is. I did not realize that. So let's talk about the spa, the Belichick spa. Christ Almighty, this spa. So <laughs> uh, Belichick spa, which uh, Jack Belichick is Jeff Goldblum's character. Is is it his folks who own this place? Yes, he and his sister run this. spa spa they run a cesspool of bathtubs filled with with filth um i will say i looked at these mud baths and thought the 1970s were a mistake um because like i i'm sure people are still out here taking mud baths in 2021 are they is that still a thing people do i think i'm not sure i will tell you that the most 70s line in the entire film is during the scene where the guy is getting a massage. He's trying to get a happy ending from Jeff Goldblum's sister. And he says, turn off the music. And she says, no, it's good for my plants. <laughs> yeah, which is also not ideal for the fact that the, the, the titular body snatchers are basically spores that rain down from the sky. Uh, so listen. Maybe... Every time it rains, it rains spores from heaven. Ooby dooby. <laughs> I can see clearly now. The spores are gone. They like and, and honestly, now I will also off top say the practical effects in this goddamn motion picture are just incredible. Oh, they're amazing. They're so goopy. Oh my god, it's disgusting. Like it's they managed to make it look so real and also so unreal and upsetting. Like it's just amazing. And so the Belichick Spa um after this disgusting man is like trying to solicit weird sex in in mud, which by the way, side note here, if you are submerged in mud and you're trying to get it wet, Please see a priest or a counselor. Like, this is... There's a goddamn order of operations here. Maybe clean the fucking mud off your dick before you try having sex with someone. I don't know. He also tries to get out of this mud bath and just slips and slides like a goddamn orca whale <laughs> being lifted with a crane. It is it is incredible. Um, we Now, we, we are also introduced to um, one, of the, 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 uh, one of the main protagonists, uh, Elizabeth... Um, who is, uh, she's married to, you know that thing about how, like, brilliant, accomplished women always take, like, Facebook photos with their husband who's, like, a bearded, dead-eyed maniac, and it's like, don't know what I'd do without this goofball. It's like, (laughs) he's just some fucking guy who just looks like a maniac. This is her partner who, 
is slightly less of a creepy dickhead after he becomes a pod person. Yeah, he's a dentist, and he does dentist things, and she follows him <laughs> around town, and he's just passing bags of pods to people. Yeah, which, and this guy, he did a move that immediately, uh, I was watching this with Sarah, and both of us immediately went, nope, which was, she walks in, and he has his headphones on, and he's watching the game, and he snaps twice and points at his lap for her to come and sit on his lap, and it's just like... I'm sorry, you're a dentist and not a guy selling bootleg pornography out of the trunk of your Oldsmobile? Like, what? (laughs) This guy is just, he's a lot. And he's a huge turd. But what's amazing is that um, she's, because she's a scientist, she found all of these weird blossoms that she wants to learn more about. So she puts them in a glass of water, puts that next to his bed on the nightstand where a glass of water might go. Do you think she knew and was on the take? You're, You're positing... That she purposely infects her husband with the pod people pods. <laughs> Wouldn't you? This guy? I mean, like, yeah. You know? Yeah, I would. Uh, that's really interesting. It's it's almost questions if she was already a pod person. Because, I mean, the end of the movie, the big twist is she runs into Donald Sutherland and he's a pod man. Yeah, which is also upsetting because like Donald Sutherland is just a fucking delight in this movie. Um, oh, when he picks up the phone to call the police, and they already know his name, and he's like, I didn't tell you my name. <laughs> yeah, Donald Sutherland, I would also say, for me, he's kind of in the Alan Alda category of 1970s liberated man, where yeah. he's, like, comfortable expressing emotion and, like, having a friend who is a woman. He's also a good cook, which is notable. And I guess you'd have to be if you were a health inspector because you couldn't ever <laughs> eat in a restaurant ever. Yeah, you're not eating 7-Eleven hot dogs if you're a health inspector. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you've got to cook your own your own meals. Um, now, this movie really taps into this thing, which is like, that's not my wife. I can't tell you specifically how that that's not my wife, but I know my wife and that's not my fucking wife. Um And Jeff Goldblum, who is, of course, hawking a book about, uh, you know, relationships or whatever, he has a particularly unconventional method of resolving marital conflicts, which I've been thinking about all day, which is that there's this couple at this big bookstore and, you know, they're, you know, she's yelling like, ah, he's a, he's not my husband, he's a goopman. And Leonard Nimoy is like trying to talk to her and be like, no, that's crazy. That's your husband. What are you talking about? And he gently grabs both people and like forces them to hug with him. <laughs> he just like mashes them together like two action figures and then they're fine. Now, this is especially uh, fascinating as someone who has just recently started going back to therapy. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you what I would do if my therapist took me in his hands <laughs> and mashed me like a paper doll into my partner. <laughs> yeah, listen, this is how, this is the new, listen, it's 1978, baby. Everything is neon and shag carpet and therapists with bad boundaries who are just going to smoosh you together. I guess 78 is really the wild west of psychoanalysts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because we're away from, like, B.F. Skinner and Freud, but this is before people sort of started regularly going to therapy in the 1980s, so if you're a therapist during this period, it's gotta be, you just, you could be drunk as hell just going like, yeah, your wife's probably a goopman, let me mash you together and give you some ketamine, alright, there's a good kid, (laughs) just like... What are we doing? Um, but Leonard Nimoy, I mean, I'm always happy if he's if he's on my screen, and and you know he's like consoling this woman and being like, there, it's not so bad, is it? And you're and you know I'm if Leonard Nimoy patted me on the back and whispered there, that's not so bad, is it? I'd be like, yeah, Leonard Nimoy, it's not so bad, not so bad at all. So we've got to talk about the dog. Oh boy, this dog. Um, so Ban- Banjo Kazooie in the park. Who is <laughs> Banjo Kazooie in the park just plays banjo all the fucking time. <laughs> also, I just watched Inside Lewin Davis, and Ooh. folk music is indelibly chained. Man, it's yeah, yeah. Like this guy, he's just you know, and uh, Donald Sutherland sort of goes like, "Hello, Banjo Kazooie," and like you know, everybody knows this guy because he's just always in the park with his fucking banjo. 
Um, eventually, he's got this dog who I think is like, is this dog like a boxer, I think? Yeah, it's a boxer. Yeah, just a, a, a very good boy. Um, uh, referred to as Pooch by Donald Sutherland. <laughs> uh, his name is Kazooie. He will show him respect. <laughs> um, he eventually gets like, now, and this is jumping ahead a bit, but we got to talk about this dog. Um, the, the, there's an effect in here where the pod people merge the dog and the dude so that the dog has like a human face um it kind of looks like a good version of the dog people from nightmare on elm street part two who are just like let's strap a baby mask on a dog who looks really uncomfortable for like half a second what i love about this is they let the dog's actual tongue go through the mask put peanut butter on the outside of it or something or did they just assume that the dog would lick through a weird <laughs> mask? It is. I don't know. They put out it's a call good. for a particularly licky dog. Like, all right, if you got a dog that just really loves lick, listen. If you love licking latex masks, you're gonna love being an invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> um, now, you know Elizabeth's husband Jeffrey is meeting up with people, strange people, secretly, which usually has a very different answer for what's going on there. Um, but you sort of figure out very quickly, I mean, and, and the thing is, as the viewer, you have the benefit of knowing that you're watching a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, so you know instantly what the fucking deal is with this, with this movie, um, and so I like that the characters don't spend the entire runtime going, but that's crazy, how could there be pod people? Like, by the third act, we're well and truly off to the races. Yeah, it's like, oh, look, there's the pods. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, the pods with the people. Um, we do, by the way, I do got to point this out. We get a full-on shot of Spa Dude's muddy undercarriage while he's hoisting himself up out of this mud. It's disgusting. <laughs> we do get to see his muddy taint. <laughs> it's just... This is the Wild West generally in 1978. I'm entirely convinced that, like, laws didn't exist until 1979, maybe. So this was, like, that last yop of freedom. Um, the thing that uh, pod people do that differentiates them as pod people is that they never show emotion. They have to be completely uh, flat affect. They have to be deadpan. They have to not show any emotion. But the moment they see somebody who is not a pod person, they just start screaming at the top of their lungs, which is like... Why is that? I love it because it's like, no, we're not emotional. And just like <laughs> screeching anytime somebody is, you know, something is off. Uh, just R2-ing in the back of the X-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. So uh, Elizabeth and uh, Donald Sutherland, which... Elizabeth is played by the incredible Brooke Adams, who is just amazing in this in this movie. Um, She's so good. They are kind of on the run very quickly from um, all of the Goopmen. And now, what's also incredible with a lot of these effects is that I, I think the idea is that these um, the body snatchers have these tendrils that they slide up into your body while you're sleeping, and then clone you, and then kill you? Do they kill you after they've copied you? Unclear. Because I assume. Well, because later on, you know, we get characters being like, no, it's better this way. I'm happier being a pod person. As though it's the same person? Somehow, it's a little bit hazy, I feel. Yeah, it's a little hinky, but again, it's it's pod people, so the source <laughs> material did not really go too deep into it. That's a great point. I don't need verite from my pod person movie. <laughs> um, it's yeah. Now I will also say the camera work in this movie is completely buck wild. Oh, it's so good. It has no right to be as impressive as it is. Yeah, like we're doing zooms, we're careening over. It's like Evil Dead. Like we're just fucking putting that camera on a drone and sending it up Donald Sutherland's nose, which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> now, and the pod people are just sort of taking over everything. What I love about the pod people, what do you think the pod people are going to do after they take everything over? And it turns out the answer is like, I don't know, vibe? <laughs> just hang out. <laughs> <laughs> Loiter, I guess? We just want to stand around in the street, like, just, you know, chilling. Just not nothing, nothing serious. Um, there's one bit of this movie where, um, Elizabeth and, uh, Donald Sutherland are on the run, and they, like, wind up in, like, the red light district of San Francisco, I guess? 
a guy physically grabs Donald Sutherland while trying to bark for a strip club and being like, we got nudes, come in. <laughs> Just like <laughs> trying to put him in a hammerlock to get him in the door. Which maybe it's because the Tinderloin has been around for a long time, but now unsurprising statement you have to try harder than just we have nudes (laughs) that's you know like oh that one nudes you say i'm like it's 1978 like this is now i will say the third act of this movie it kind of farts around a little bit plot plot wise yeah like it, it drags like they're they're on the run and kind of hanging out and trying to blend in and it's just i don't know like the movie kind of doesn't know what to do with itself for like the last 45 yeah, it it does kind of have a bit of um, dead weight, some dead branches, uh, so to speak. But it makes up for it with the ending. So uh, Nancy Belichick, who co-owns the, the, the wretched mud hole with Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> uh, Ver- played by Veronica Cartwright, who fucking rules, um, she previously went up to Elizabeth and Donald Sutherland. I know that his character's name is Matthew. I'm calling him Donald Sutherland because he's Donald Sutherland. Um, they, you know, the, the three of them are the only ones left who are, like, still people and not pod people. And she's, you know, kind of telling them to pull a Shaun of the Dead. And, like, no, you can blend in with them as long as you, like, shuffle around and don't show any emotion. Um, and at the very end of the thing, you know, she... We, we get a scene of just Donald Sutherland's character waking up, going to work, everything is normal. We see a lot of stuff happening in the background. I mean, like, pretty much throughout the movie, that's just like, if you look, you can see the world isn't coming to any good in the background. Oh, one of my favorite things is every time they pass a trash, a garbage truck or mm-hmm. a trash cans on the street, they have, like, cellulose pod shit in the... Um, in the trash. Yeah, they've got like fluffy pod insul- insulation where it's just it's like, like the corn silk. But yes. For pods. Yes, exactly. Like, and just shoveling it into these garbage trucks. Like, there's, I love how much stuff is going on in the background of this movie that, like, you know, if you look, you can see that things aren't going great. But it's, yeah. And so, uh, so Veronica Cartwright's character, Nancy, um, you know, sort of goes up to, to Donald Su- Donald Sutherland and is like, hey, it's me. I made it out. I'm safe. And then he immediately points at her and does the, like, body snatcher. Like, the body snatcher, oh no, there's a person sound. Which, as you know, is totally devoid of emotion. And yeah, and that's the iconic last shot we get is Donald Sutherland pointing and howling. And it is incredible. Yeah, it's... um unsettling to say the least yeah um this movie is wonderful it's very good where do you want to put it on our list well looking at our list okay scrolling a little bit uh okay here we go at number okay so quitsy at number 30 uh we have another classic horror movie rosemary's baby uh i which do you think is a better movie rosemary's baby or uh, invasion of the body snatchers uh 1978 I know it's unpopular because Rosemary Baby, Rosemary's Baby was directed by Polanski, but it's a better film. Yeah, I agree. I think also it's a better film and also it's about stuff. It's about gaslighting and abuse and, and all manner of stuff in a way that Invasion of the Body Snatchers 1978 is, oh no, what if there were Goopmen? They're gonna getcha in a way that's like, okay. Um, and, like, obviously, I'm being reductive. There are themes in uh, Invasion of the Body Snatcher 1978, but I feel like uh, Rosemary's Baby has a stronger thesis and knows what it wants to say a little bit more. Now, at number 36 is The Orphanage. <laughs> Fuck. The Orphanage is great. I really love The Orphanage. Um, I feel that it's better than that. Actually, where I'm looking, at number 30, uh, 33, we have Poltergeist from Mm. 1982 um and i feel like my 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 pitch for where i would put um the remake of invasion of the body snatchers uh it would be right above the craft at number 34 uh and right below poltergeist at number 33 oh i think i have to agree with you just the um the technical aspects of poltergeist uh are so ambitious and Mm -hmm. only for being like four years later you can see like leaps and bounds in terms of like uh 
practical effects and things like that. Oh, totally, totally. And also, like, the practical effects in this, I feel like this coming out the year before Alien, like, man, the late 70s were a fucking great time to be a practical effects artist. Yeah, they really, they were really a good time. You know, I was watching, I was watching the documentary about Flight of the Navigator the other day, and the director of Flight of the Navigator went to school with Lucas and John Carpenter, and it's like, all those dudes just went to school at the same time and started making movies, and like, the whole studio system, like, there was a sea change where it's like, okay, it stopped being who you know and started being more about like vision uh at least for a while yeah i mean like and and that's also invasion of the body snatchers feels i don't know it feels really distinct to me in terms of because it was directed by philip kaufman who i will say there are moments of this with philip kaufman where i'm like can you calm down with the camera philip like you know it's sort of um, it's made really, really intentionally by Philip Kaufman, uh, in a way I really appreciate. Like, even, even when the direct, even when the direction feels kind of goofy, I'm like, eh, you're going for a specific thing. I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's good. Uh, our new number 34. Yeah, I also feel pretty good about that. Um, and guys, it is available, uh, at this time, uh, of recording, uh, on, uh, September 3rd, 2021. It's available on Shudder. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. Like, I think, oh, honestly, yeah. I would also credit... I'm, I'm gonna... I don't need to tell stories out of school. I kind of want to credit this movie with the popularization of horror remakes like The Thing and The Fly. Yeah, it really proved that it was a viable option because uh, right after it, we get the 80s blob, the 80s fly, and the 80s the thing. Yeah, and like this, uh, yeah, this was sort of proof of concept where it was like, yeah, you know, you can take like a beloved horror classic and like both respect the source material, but do something new with it and do something interesting and um, not, you know, literally just have characters being like, ah, communism. And even much later, we even got the Stepford Wives remake. <laughs> Which, as we know, is the high watermark for Stepford Wives. <laughs> um, oh God. Speaking of Nicole Kidman, I just started watching uh, Nine Perfect Strangers. Goddamn. It is, it is incredible. Um, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can find us at our podcast network's webpage, FaustianNonsense.com. We're also on a wide variety of social media. Uh, rank and vile or rank and vile cast is usually the variation we had to get. Um, if you're if you have at rank and vile on uh, Twitter, let us have it, please. <laughs> Hell yeah, um, yeah. We are just about everywhere. We've played this war of attrition long enough. <laughs> give please it give it. Give yeah, but Dave Batista voice. Give me what I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're we're pretty much everywhere you'd want to download us, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we, we really appreciate you guys. If you uh, enjoy uh, hearing us talk about stuff, consider uh, going onto iTunes and leaving us whatever rating you feel is fair. Ideally a five-star rating, but I'm not your dad. Um, it would be enormously uh, appreciated. But uh, barring that, that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. <laughs>